Well, welcome to church this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. If you're new here, my name is Jeremy Smith, lead pastor here at New Life Church, and it's an honor, it's a privilege to have you guys with us this morning in worship. I want to say hi to everybody online, watching, participating, and worshiping with us virtually today. Listen, uh, just to kind of catch you up, uh, if you're just joining us, we have been in a series in the book of Acts. We started this back in like I don't know, I think maybe mid-August, we took a short break for a, a short series, and then now we're back in it over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be hanging out today, and these scriptures will also be with us on the screens as well. I'm going to uh, attempt to finish uh, the second half of last week's message called Jesus at the Center. Jesus at the center, and what we've been doing, uh, we covered Acts chapter 15 and 16 last week, and again, today we're going to be in 17, but what we're doing is we're walking through this, through this story of the early church, and uh, in this moment, in this segment of time, uh, we're, we're kind of walking and traveling with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and James and Peter, some others. Uh, from Antioch to Athens. And just as a quick reminder, uh, Antioch at the time was the, was the center, was the Christian center. It was the hub of, of Christian influence where they trained and discipled many people and sent them out into the known world at the time to preach the gospel and to live their lives boldly for the Lord. And in Athens, on the other end of the spectrum, you have this other city and another place called Athens. And it's got at its center is really about a uh, materialistic, really a radical materialistic, humanistic approach to life. These folks that lived in Athens were serious about making it um, and keeping it that, hey, you don't need a savior. You are your own master. You can rule your own life. And you're built and made and created and wired to have your own physical pleasure, your own material wealth. And all of this is just for you to enjoy. There's no afterlife and all of those types of things. So, But what, what's at stake at this time, and really is a parallel to what's at stake in our day and time now is about making Jesus the center and then keeping Jesus at the center. Because let just, let's just get real today in church that some days it's hard to stay saved some days. Uh, I mean, the struggle's real with, with, with us. If we're going to just get level-headed and just you know, throw it all out there and be real like God calls us to be, some days it's like, man, I, I took a wrong turn somewhere. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes, you know, we kind of wonder, how did I get here? How did I wind up here? And so GPS stirred me wrong. You know, I listened to the wrong voice. Come on, somebody, I listened, I watched the wrong route. I followed the wrong guide. And that can happen in our life sometimes. But, and this, is, this, is the, this was the battle. This was what was happening. You see in this, in this course of text here that there's this, there's this uh, struggle uh, between Antioch and all the way down into Athens, you see this conflict with God's people and how he was using people and how he was using the church, how he was using the preachers and how the Holy Spirit was flowing and working and making things happen. You see the, con- the conflict and the tension at, 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 uh, at, at, in, in work and between that and, the re- and what was going on in, in, in life and with others. And, and, uh, but through all of that... And through this story and, and how it plays out in our life today is God was at work then and God is at work now. 
And he's at work to promote and to persuade and to protect the fact that Jesus is the center. We're not our center. The world is not our center. What we accumulate in life is not our center. What we have on our bookshelves is not our center. What we have in our bank account is not our center. What we have in, in, that we drive in and what we live in is not our center. The clothes on our, on our bodies are not our center. Jesus is the center. And so that's what was going on. That's what was happening. And as you can see, that's, that happens now. That's the struggle at life now is to make Jesus the center of our life and then to keep Jesus the center of our life. And we, we look through this text of 15, taught us and showed us that God was at work through the preachers at the time. And he's at work through preachers today. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for good, honest preachers and pastors and leaders in the churches across this, across this nation and in our world that help continue to steer and help lead uh, and care and protect the sheep of God's fold. But then also we see in chapter 16, we looked at how God worked through the Holy Spirit. God working through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and, and shutting one door, but only to open another door. Only to, to say, when you want to go this way, and it's not God's plan, God says, I want to guide you and direct you this way. And today, we're going to look at 17, how God is work, how he works through the church. Say, that's me. It's come on, more than one of you, if you're saved, you're to be part of the church. God works through the church. Say, that's me. God works through the church, and he wants to. He wants to work through your life. He wants the, not an institution, but the body of Christ, the people of God. All right, He wants to work in and through all of our lives together, individually and collectively, as the body of Christ. And in chapter 17 is where we're going to be. And kind of just kind of catch you up, because we're going to start kind of a midway down in this chapter. But you've got Paul, and you've got Silas, and they are... Um, moving to another location. They're traveling from Philippi, and they're going to go to Thessalonica, and they get to Thessalonica, and they begin to preach the gospel and meet with people and talk to people and influence people for the, for the kingdom of God. And, but then, there, then it says there were some jealous people, some Jews who were jealous, eaten up with jealousy. And, it, it, you know, jealousy is a funny thing. It really makes you do things that you wouldn't normally want to do. But if you let jealousy rule your heart and you, it starts to make you compare yourself to other people, it kind of makes you think, man, maybe, maybe I, I want to have what they have. I want to be a part of what they're doing, but I don't want them to get the credit. I want to get the credit. Jealousy makes you do some crazy stuff. So these jealous folks stirred up some troublemakers, and they started making trouble uh, in the neighborhood. They got in one little fight. My mom got scared. My, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Any Fresh Prince fans out there, if you're going to admit that? I don't know. But anyways, they got started making trouble. And so then you see, we're going to get, start down in verse 10, and you're going to see how God in this story uses the church to help create this opportunity for the gospel, for the good news, for Jesus to be preached, to be the center of life. Let's look at this verse 10. It says, That night... The believers, say that's me, 
that the believers sent Paul and Silas off to the city of Berea, where they once again went into the synagogue. They found that the Jews of Berea were of more noble character and much more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. They were hungry to learn and eagerly receive the word. Got anybody hungry for God's word today? Got anybody hungry to learn? Hungry to just learn and eager to grow in Him? Every day, it says, they opened up the scrolls of Scripture to search and examine them. They wanted to verify that what Paul taught them was true. Such a good point. Side note, you should never always just take the preacher's word for it. You should always go back to the word. Because sometimes, as good as we might try to be, sometimes we can say the wrong thing, as I did last week. I used the choice word. It was not the correct word. And the word I should have used was jerk. Now it's going to make you, if you weren't here, you're going to be like, what did he say? It's all good. Thank you for that. Thank you. But every day they opened up these scriptures to verify this, what Paul taught was true. Verse 13, uh, 12. A large number of Jews became believers in Jesus. That's so powerful. A large number of people became believers in Jesus be, along with the quiet uh, uh, along with quite a few influential Greek women and men. Verse 13, when the news reached the Jews in Thessalonica that Paul was now in Berea, preaching the word of God, those troublemakers, they went there. They agitated and stirred up the crowds there. And then verse 14, the fellow, the fellow believers who helped, uh, they then helped Paul slip away to the coast of the Aegean Sea while Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Verse 15, those who accompanied Paul They sailed with him as far as Athens. Athens is getting into the picture here. Then Paul sent them back to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and to join them. So you see, Paul and Silas in Thessalonica, trouble starts, the church goes to work. They're like, we've got to, we have have to do something. God leads them and works through them to persuade and to protect the gospel, to get the message of Christ to be the center. And, and it says they, these believers went to work and they sent Paul and Silas to Berea. Sent them down there. They get there, trouble starts again. Then it said these fellow believers, these, the fellow believers, the church, then helped Paul get to the coast. Then it said they, these same fellow believers, some of them escorted and sailed with Paul all the way to Athens. So you see right here in the middle of chapter 17 how God was working through the church to help make sure Paul was going to get to where he needed to get to. But it wasn't just Paul. It was really the message that Paul was carrying. It was what was in his heart. It was what was in his spirit, what God had commissioned and called Paul to go do, and that was to preach Jesus at the center. And I love this this next part we're going to get into, and we're going to look at what Paul went and what he preached in the middle of Athens. He went into the very center of this city, and it was in the center of this city where Paul stood and he preached Jesus at the center. Paul was put into this spotlight, if you will. He was thrust into this moment of time where God was like, I am ready to do something big in this city of Athens. 
I'm ready to make myself known, and I want people to know throughout this entire city that Jesus is the center. So let's pick up on his sermon here in verse 22. Man, it's just, this whole thing, this sermon just wrecks me uh, when I read it. It just got a hold of me this week, and it, it just mess, messed me up. Let's look at this, verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the leadership council, and he said, Respected leaders of Athens, it is clear to me how extravagant you are in your worship of idols. For as I walked through your city, I was captivated by the many shrines and objects of your worship. I even found an inscription on one altar that read, To the unknown God. And I have come to introduce you, I have come to introduce to you this God whom you worship without even knowing anything about him. So he, he's in the middle of the city and he's walking around and he sees these shrines. And he looks upon this one altar and it says, to the unknown God. And he opens up his sermon with saying, hey, I've noticed all of these things. You guys, you guys are pretty religious around here. And he goes, and he says, I, but I want to point out something. There's this one inscription that says to the unknown God that you say you worship. And I want to tell you, I know who this God is. I know who this God is, and I want to tell you about him. And what an introduction. So you don't know him because he's unknown to you, but today he wants to make himself known to you. And if you're here today, if you're watching, that if God is unknown to you, he wants to make himself known to you. Not, not in some religious way of thinking, but in a real personal encounter and have a relationship with you. And Paul goes on, he says, The true God is the creator, capital C, creator of all things. He is the owner and the Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And this God, he doesn't, need, he doesn't live in man-made temples. So there's something unique about this God that Paul is introducing to the Athens, to the city of Athens. So he supplies life and breath, and all things to every living being. That's who this God is. That's who our God is. That is who the living God is. He says, he supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. For he has all things and everything he needs. In other words, there's nothing that we could try to give God to help God out. God has all the help he needs because he is all the help that we need. And he says, from one man, verse 26, from one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity. And he spread us all over the earth. And he sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. You ever wondered, man, what would it have been like to live back in whatever time? You ever thought, man, how come I'm alive at this time? Because that scripture, that word teaches us right there God determines the season and the lifespan of people. 
He determines when and where we live. And He determines from where we come from, the lineage in our natural life. But in all of that, here's what he, what it, where it gets to, verse 27. Why does He do that? He has done this so that every person would long for God. That they would feel their way to Him and they would find Him. For He is the God who is easy to discover. Man, I love that part, verse 27. You live in this time, in this day and age, because God has set it up for a reason. So that from your family roots, your history of life, all of it sets you up so that you and I would find our way to God. That we would have this longing in our heart. And that longing would not be satisfied until we find our God. You see, he has put, Ecclesiastes teaches us that God has put eternity in the hearts of humanity. And and what other people might call a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God himself can feel. So when you and I or anyone else tries to feel that fill that hole in our life with anything other than Jesus, you and I will always 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 continue to have a longing and a thirst and a drive to try to fill that hole in our life. And but when Jesus fills that, he brings a total complete fulfillment and satisfaction in us. And so God set, he sets our life up. He determines the lifespan of all so that in life we would long for him and in life we would find our way to him. In life we would wander into him and we would meet him and we would know him and we would walk with him and we would have relationship with him. And man, not some stale, boring relationship, man, that's built upon the rules we determine, but a relationship that's built on the foundation of love. Love in its rawest, purest, most powerful, perfected way, agape love, the most, the greatest level of love there ever is, the love of God. And Paul talks about this in several of his other letters, that he prays that, man, his prayer is that God's people would learn and know how deep and how wide and how, how vast, how high the love of God is. You and I just really don't know how loved we really are by God. Oh, we have moments. Oh, we get little glimpses. Oh, we have little tastes. But the scripture teaches us to continue to taste and to see that the Lord is good. You see, when you taste and see how God is and how good He is and who He is, truthfully, deep down, we don't want anything else. We don't want to have anything 
else. Oh, we try because our flesh tries to rule. Our carnal side tries to rule. Our materialistic side of life tries to rule. Our humanistic thought process tries to rule. But man, when we just break it down and we open our life up and surrender all, like the songs we were singing this morning, and surrender all to the Lord and just let Jesus step into our life, He becomes the center and He becomes the filler of all things in us. That the pleading in Paul's message here, the pleading in his message here is to make Jesus the center. But then the continuation is to keep him the center, which is where he goes next in verse 28. For it is through him, through God, that we live and function and have our identity. It is through God... In Jesus that we live, that we have life. Man, I'm so glad I did get saved at 16. Because, honestly, the, uh, the, statistics, uh, the stats say that the older a person gets, the harder their hearts become towards God. And it becomes more difficult in, just in, in some of the natural circumstances of life. But I'm thinking back, man, 30 30 years ago this year, that when I found Jesus and Jesus and I, and I discovered that he loved me and he found me really, that's when life took off. That's when life really took off. And he says, in God, through God, we have life and we have function, we have purpose. You find out why you're here. You discover why you exist. You, you, your, your life becomes aware of the reason God has breathed breath into you and to me. It's in God that we live, that we have function, that we have purpose. And then it goes on and says, in him we have identity. We find out who we really are. And that's the part that Paul kind of changes gears. He says, I want you to make Jesus the center but you got to keep him the center. And we keep him at the center when we keep living in him and know from where we have come from. He says, and he uses this, he says at the end of verse 28, and just as your own poets have said, I love that, he uses their own thing that they subscribe to, that they lift up, that they worship. He says, your own poets have said, Our lineage comes from him. This unknown God is the God I just got through talking to you about. And it's from this God that in him we live and move and we have our being. That it's from him that we come from. Your own poets have said this. And so he goes on, he says, since our lineage can be traced back to God, how could we even think about the divine image that could be compared to something made of gold, silver, or stone, sculpted by man's artwork and clever imagination? In other words, you can't limit this awesome God to just some little shrine of an idol that you look at with, and, and put some inscription on. No, he's bigger and greater and actually has life flowing out of him. He has power flowing out of him. He has the ability to do something, and here's why. He says, in the past, God tolerated ignorance of these things, but now the time of deception has passed away. He commands us all to repent 
and to turn to God. For the appointed day is risen in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, capital M, Jesus, that he has designated. And the proof given to the world that God has chosen this Jesus is this. He resurrected him from the dead. He resurrected this man, this Jesus, from the dead. It says, And the moment they heard Paul bring up the topic of resurrection, some of them ridiculed him. They got up and left, but then others said, we want to hear you again later about these things. So he started getting to the proof of how this God changes our life through Jesus, whom he resurrected from the dead. You see, that's the power of resurrection. That's the difference with with Christianity faith in Christ Jesus and any other religion on this planet is that Jesus actually got up from the grave. Jesus actually died on the cross, crucified on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, buried in a borrowed tomb for three days, but he did not stay there. He got up from the dead. And actually the Bible teaches us that he he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he came back to life. And now he sits at the right hand on the throne of the God the Father, forever making intercession for the world, for you and me, wanting to always show himself to us, wanting our eyes to be open to the fact that he is real, he, he is living, and he is living proof that he loves us and he gave himself for us. And he started talking about the resurrection. And man, when you start talking about the resurrection coming back from the dead like this, it can freak some people out. And it can make some people have doubt, like there is no way, I don't believe any of that stuff. But resurrection is proof that man, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus came and found me, and forgave me, and freed me, that I thank God I am not who I used to be. I am not my past. I am not my mistakes. I am not my failures. I am not my missteps. I am forgiven, and I am free, and Jesus is the living proof through his resurrection that he can change people. He can change you. You want to change? Jesus is the only way that could ever happen. You can't read enough good self-help books on your own to make the change stick and last. You know what the lasting way is? It's letting Jesus be the center of your life. That every day you wake up and humble yourself before him and acknowledge to him, I don't have it all together. I am a flawed person, but in you I thank you. I am forgiven and I am free. And the power of transformation goes into play every day single day. You want the ability to change your habits, your hang-ups, whatever it is. You want to change your relationships with your, with your family. You want to change your outlook on life. Listen, the only way that happens is to make Jesus the center and then to keep him at the center. And that's the message that Paul was preaching. And, the, and the, here's the thing I want to land on is this. He had this opportunity to be able to preach Jesus at the center, in the very center of Athens, in the center of this godless city. He had the ability, the opportunity to do that because the church 
gave themselves to the service of the gospel. The church gave themselves to the service of the gospel. You see, when believers give themselves to the service of Jesus, God then uses them to promote that Jesus is the center and he gives people the opportunity to make Jesus the center. See, the church, we're not called to just gather together on Sundays. It's powerful, it's special, it's monumental, it's needed, it's godly, it's biblical for us to do so, but we are also called to actually get to work. We're called to serve the Lord in our life. We're called to put, put ourselves before God and say, will you use my life today to promote Jesus at the center? Because look at this. Look who came to Jesus. Verse 33. Paul left, but then verse 34, there were some who believed the message. You ever thought, and let me finish this. So there were some who believed the message and joined him from that day forward. You ever thought about the people prior to us whom God used to lead us to Jesus? You ever thought about that? The person or the group of people that you listened to, that you heard the gospel presented to you, that how God used them to get you and I to say yes to Jesus in our lives, that somebody used, God used somebody prior to them to preach the gospel, to put Jesus at the center so that you, so that they can make Jesus the center, so that then they could go and preach Jesus at the center, so that you and I can make Jesus at the center. You follow my twisted trail. Think about it. It said some believed, joined him. And among them, it lists the, these people. Among them, it says they were Dionysus. Dionysius, he was a judge on the leadership council. And church history, there's some church history there that teaches that Dionysius later became the bishop at Athens. This is Athens. This person in this worldly, godless leadership council said yes to Jesus, made him the center, kept him the center, and later became a bishop in the church in Athens. And then it says Damaris also said yes to Jesus. Church scholars also believe that perhaps she might have been the wife of this Dionysius. And then it, lists, and then it says others came to the Lord. Others said yes. Think about that. How did all this come about? How did all of this, this, this powerful message that Paul delivered in the city of Athens, what's also in the city called Mars Hill, this gathering place, this, this centralized point where all these topics of life were discussed and debated on and decided on, the gospel set right on the top of that city, and Jesus was preached to be the center, and many said yes and made him the center. How did all of that come about? It came about because the church took charge 
and said, no, we're not going to let this message be snuffed out. No, we're not going to let some troublemakers cause so much trouble that the message of Jesus would get snuffed out. No, they went to work. And you see how God worked through the church to promote and to protect and then to persuade that, hey, Jesus is the center. What about you? How could God work in your life as a believer through the church? I want to end with this, 1 Peter 4. Peter writes in verse 7. He gives us some thoughts in the last days. He wrote it back then. Last days then, last days now. He said, since we are approaching the end of all things, listen to how he writes that. We are approaching the end of all things. The, all, all, the end of all things is at hand. It is near. And he's like, I, I want to get this across to you because you need to think about, excuse me, you need to think about this. Since we're approaching the end of all things, be intentional, purposeful, self-controlled, so that you, may, you can be given to prayer. Above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another, for love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. Verse 9, be compassionate to foreigners without complaining. Verse 10, every believer has received grace gifts. Use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. For example, if you have a speaking gift, speak as though God were speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it passionately with the strength God gives you, so that in everything God alone will be glorified through Jesus Christ. For to him belong the power and the glory forever throughout all ages. Amen. What's Peter getting at? He's like, hey, the end of all things is drawing near. He says, you need to make sure that you are giving yourself to prayer. You need to make sure that you are loving to other believers. You need to make sure that you are compassionate to other people outside of the faith. You need to make sure that you are faithful to serve God with the gifts he's given you. And you need to make sure that in everything you do in life, you give God the glory. Your life is giving glory to God based on how you are living. Prayer, loving, compassionate. Give God the glory. Sounds like all spiritual things, but in the midst of that, he elaborates on one of those. Be faithful to serve. You see, just because the end of the days and the end of the age is drawing near doesn't give us to re- doesn't give us the, the reason or the excuse to shrink back, to lay low to hide out, to isolate, to stay away from serving God with the gifts that he has given us. We all, every believer, it says, every believer, every believer has received these gifts from the Lord. 
Use your gifts. Be faithful to use your gifts to serve one another. What about you? Are you at a place where you truthfully, honestly want to plug yourself into the purpose of God and give yourself to His service? so that you can help create this moment in someone's life to make Jesus the center. For me, 30 years ago, I was invited to this youth retreat. It was a one-night thing. But whoever was in charge of it, look back and I could see God they were using their gift to serve they created this pretty cool fun event for teenagers at the time it was fun may not be as fun for some of you today but it was fun for a 46 year old guy back then at 15, 16 and he created this opportunity and presented the gospel Gave, gave people the chance to go up to an altar that at the time he was an unknown God but it wasn't long at the end of that service he became a known God that for the first time in my history I discovered was worth being loved I thought I had so much pain and hurt and misfortune in my life that there's nobody outside of home that's going to really love me and boy did Jesus change that view all because some man some person some couple, some church opened up their sanctuary to a room full of teenagers to have that moment where Jesus was presented to be the center. And we had a chance to make him the center. Little did I know I would be doing what I'm doing today. He told me back then, I would have ran, Thomas. I would have ran. I would have ran for my life, Jesus. Ain't nobody got time for that. And I would have been like, no way. There's no way, God, you could do anything like that with me. And I'm so glad God doesn't see it the way we see it. He sees it in such a different, more beautiful, spectacular way. We, we, if you look at it, describes it as the tapestry of God. You know, on the back of tapestry, when you look through it, if I'm not mistaken, Miss Lorraine, when you, on the, on the side where, it, where it's not all designed and patterned out, the back side of it that sometimes gets covered up, on the back side of it, you have all of the, all of the string and the fabric that's woven together, but it's all in a mess and all in knots behind the pattern. 
that's on display. And sometimes that's how we see our life. We see it all the mixed up, messed up, tied up, naughty side. But God's looking at it like, what are you looking at? I'm looking at somebody who's fearfully and wonderfully made. And all of this happens because the church is like, you know what? We're not going to just be a bunch of people who who just kind of gather and do nothing. No, we're going to be a bunch of people. Can I come up on the stage real quick? I don't ever do this. But we're going to be a bunch of people who also not only gather, but we're also, we go with the gospel. And we go because the Great Commission compels us to go. That we're going to be a church that will do all we can to be faithful and obedient to the call of God on this house, to, to the gathering, to the gospel, and to the Great Commission that Jesus said, wherever you go, wherever you go, make disciples of all people of all kinds of people. And that's what I love about this church. It's of all kinds of people. It's all kinds of people. Last time I checked, Madison County was made up of all kinds of people. And there are all kinds of people who are just waiting, who are desperate, who are so parched to hear that Jesus loves them. And they can see that when the church gives himself to the purpose of God and serves by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God can be glorified in Jesus Christ. God wants to use your life, saints. God wants to use your life. He wants to use it for his glory, yes, and for your good. You all, we all have just waiting for us to say, okay, who will I send? And for us to say, I don't know where you want to take me. I don't know what you want to do with me, but you can send me.